Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Really what we read here is the end of the events, because when we get into uh, Devarim or Deuteronomy in the next book, that is really the, the farewell address from Moshe. So, what we've seen here are the last actions that are happening before the entry into the land, which uh, picks up with the actions of Yehoshua in the book of Joshua. But what we are seeing here are the last actions that uh, Moshe is taking as they're getting ready to enter the land. Now, some of the important lessons here is with this discipline and who are you going to follow, that is really where this all started, all the way back in the time of Avraham, back in the early chapters of Genesis. And it came and went down into Exodus and going into the land and has come down also into the... the, um, time of the sojourning in the wilderness. Now, one of the other big lessons that we get from Bamibar, the book of Numbers, is in the incident with uh, Korach. And Korach, they're recorded in Numbers 16 and 17, is a really big um, lesson, as we saw through there, this building, um, boiling, seething, undercurrent of who's really in charge, who are we going to follow? And one of the things that we saw with that lesson is that the family of Korok and the people who were uh, ganged up with them were asking, well, who, who put you in charge? Why should we follow you? And one of the things we saw is not only a challenge to Moshe, but also a challenge to Aharon, the leader who was speaking with God God's prophet, and also God's priest, God's minister. So, Korach, being from one of the families that was in close contact with the things of God, God's house, really with the question of who put you in charge of having the closest contact? As the rebellion put out, aren't we all, all holy also? Aren't we a holy nation? Well, why are you two? Uh, so much, quote, holier than we are. And another big lesson we saw in the book of Numbers, Numbers 22 through 25, and we saw that the kind of capstone of that in chapter 31 in our portions here today is the story of Balaam or Balaam. And one of the things we saw was kind of the interesting, the interesting uh, counterposition of the chosen people with a chosen mission and this uh, prophet from the nations around. And he was actually given the words of God. He was hired to uh, curse the people of God, but he was given the words of God to speak a blessing on it and also to be a witness to the nations around. We saw that mentioned just briefly in the 
quote, travelogue in chapter 33 of Numbers that we just went through here today, this witness to the nations, and we see that uh, there indeed was some folk who were watching this progression and did notice (laughs) that lesson from the exodus, from the crossing of the sea, all of the other miracles, the defeating of the two kings on the on the east side of the Yarden, the Jordan River, they did get the picture. But one of the things that we should get a lesson from that is, is that even though you're given the words of God, they have to make sure that they're actually coming through in your heart. Otherwise, you might <laughs> be getting a correction in the case of Bilam from a donkey's mouth, or that lesson may come in some other means, you know, or as the, um, as the Messiah pointed out, he said, you know, uh, other people may get in, but you won't. Other people may enter the kingdom of heaven, but you won't. Uh, that's a pretty sober thing. We'll be getting that a little bit later in our uh, part that we're going to be focusing on with this here today. So, some of the other uh, big lessons that we can get from the particular passage that we're looking at today is, you know, we must be careful when we're making a vow or an oath, and we must be careful that the Lord can count on it. And we have to be careful when we're calling on the Lord to co-sign our vows and our oaths. And uh, with a part of the, the travel log that we'll see there in, in Numbers 33 is we have to remember where we came from and where we're going. For each of us, we have to remember where it is that we started out in our journey with the Lord and where the Lord has taken us so far. Do we even notice that we've changed at all? Or are we the same people going round and round with the same problems year after year that there never seems to be any progression forward? Are we learning from those um, challenges, the mistakes that we've made, or are we just spinning our wheels in the proverbial quicksand? So one of the things we also learn from this is that Remember who took us out of our house of bondage and who is taking us in to the land of freedom or the land of rest. And uh, that we can remember that we can enter the kingdom now as uh, we've looked at in previous occasions with the lesson of Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4 is that you can enter the land, enter the Lord's rest today, but you have to remember that that actual crossing over is something that's going to happen on the day of the Lord. So it is a now and future thing. For each of us, uh, it is something that happens with our life daily, but the the full coming of of the kingdom of God, where the the dwelling place of God is with mankind, that's going to happen in the future. But are we people who live as if the presence of God is with us, or do we think it's somewhere else? And that's one of the lessons we'll get to from the prophets here shortly. And one of the other lessons that we can get from this particular um, double header parasha that ends the book of Numbers is 
who our high priest is. We get a picture of that in, in Numbers chapter 31. It's actually, if we go a commercial for the Torah Club, that's going to be one of the things that Torah Club is uh, focusing on in this particular aspect of the, uh, and where the sages went with it with the warrior Messiah and the, the basically the priest who is anointed for war that goes out with the ark into war. We see a little picture of that in Numbers 31. But one of the things that we see is that the intermediary, this priest, this intermediary between heaven and earth is also the one who is leading the battle. And lesson from that is don't go out into battle with darkness if <laughs> your, uh, your leader and the one who is actually fighting the battles is not with you. And one of the other lessons that we get as we closed out with the section in chapter 35 of Numbers is the cities of refuge and the blood avenger. And that is something that we can take a lesson from because we, we've seen in our expanded look at the, the Torah commandments related to things that are in not only just murder and not just manslaughter, but things that can you know, kill a person's character. And we've talked about that on previous occasions related to slander, gossip, uh, destroying people, uh, a person, not the reputation. So, uh, that is also a lesson for that is that, um, you know, something that the apostle Yaakov brings out is that, you know, you think you may not be guilty of murder. Well, if you've done, if you cannot control your tongue, that is something that uh, can be bringing you in guilt of murder and you just don't even realize it. So the question is, is that with this particular aspect of violating the commands of God, beware if you don't think the blood avenger is coming after you. And then if you are given mercy, which is a good picture of the cities of refuge, uh, the important lesson in there is, you know, do not go out thinking, oh, well, I can, you know, I was, I was uh, covered for this. I can go out from underneath my covering and watch out the blood avenger is still out there. That message that there has been something terrible done with the killing of life. And it's not something that can be easily covered. And the connection there with the life of the high priest and your mercy being connected to the life of the high priest. So those are some high points, but... Um, one of the areas that we're actually going to be heading at here today is a section that um, is actually the beginning part in chapter 30, uh, Numbers chapter 30, where we're looking at with um, and the question of vows and the, the uh, woman in her father's house and the wife and her vows, um, something that we we saw in passing related to the Nazir or the Nazarite vow and the fact that a woman could enter it. But the question comes in is how are we entering the vow and who else is connected to the vow? So one of the things that we are going to be looking at is, you know, how do we discover really the why of our existence? You know, what is our Lech Lecha as you saw the command given to Avraham to go forth, go forward. 
And do you, as it's talked about in Hebrews, you know, he left not really knowing where he was going, but he knew why he was going. And that's because the Lord said, go forward. And he trusted the Lord that the Lord was going to deliver him to a place that he needed to go, even though he really didn't know what that place was. So, one of the, the, the things that can come up in modern society when they read a passage like Numbers chapter 30, and it talks about, well, your father can cancel a daughter's vow, or a husband can cancel a wife's vow, and you're thinking, you know, wait a minute, you know, shouldn't women just be able to have the freedom to do whatever they want, to enter the vows that they want, to not enter the vows they want? One of the questions can come up as well, you know, has the Lord cursed me because I was born this way or that way? Born a woman versus a man. You could say the same for all kinds of things. Uh, Am I cursed because, you know, I'm not six foot ten and can, can do dunks with no problem? Am I cursed because I'm not great at mathematics? Am I cursed because of this? Am I cursed because of that? Why was I born this particular way? You know, there was a, there's kind of a, you'd say a a problematic uh, passage that comes through in the, the Talmud and some of the sages where it talks about, you know, be thankful that, yeah, I'm thankful that I'm not, was born a woman. Well, you can take that one way or the other, but the question comes in is, why was I born a particular gender. And the question comes in here today, why was I born in a particular country? Why was I born in a particular, quote, race? We'll be getting to that in just a little bit. And also that gets into the the question of the apportionment of the land that we saw near the end of the, the parashot today. You know, why was I born in this tribe versus another tribe? You know, that question comes in with the discussions today of inequality between people. Why was I born in the United States with its economic prosperity versus being born in some country with little prosperity? Whose fault is that? Am I cursed because I was born in one place versus another? And that both of those questions there, born a woman versus a man, and why was it born a one tribe versus another, one country versus another, also comes in to play with the question there with the daughters of Zelophehad. You know, they were like, well, what happens to the inheritance for us? Because you know, the, by the laws of inheritance, uh, the inheritance that we have, how would it pass on? The the father had no sons, so how would it go on? And the ruling was, well, you would have to keep it, you would have to marry within the particular tribe to keep the possessions within the particular tribe. So, those are some of the, you'd say, the big questions that we're going to be looking at today. So. Moving on to uh, Numbers chapter 30, one of the, the questions that you get with the big overall picture of this is, 
you know, really be careful about how you make your commitments. Do enter them rashly, as as Yeshua was saying. You know, it's better that you don't make any uh, vows or oaths at all. You just let your yes be yes and your no be no. The question is, you know, some will will see that as well. He's going and saying that the whole principle of vows and oaths is uh, not good, and that was a law or commandment for a different time period. But now that uh, the Messiah is coming along and saying, ah, that's that's not good in and of itself. Well, was that the issue? Or was it just simply that the lesson kept coming down, including with this particular passage, you will surely pay them. If you make the promise, you will pay them. The idea being, and Yeshua even underscored that, if you make a promise, you have to keep the promise. Why is that? Is just just um, a ridiculous stickler for details, or is it that the underlying principle, the Lord has made promises to us? So, if we consider the Lord's promises as being something that is lasting and dependable, the lesson being then our promises to heaven should be lasting and dependable. And if you are making promises that are lasting and dependable, especially ones related to a vow where you're like the Nazarite vow, where you're saying that you're dedicating yourself to the Lord for periods of time. Well, if you are in someone else's household, you are also, in a sense, dedicating them too to what you are doing. So, are... Are you really um, going through the the whole picture of dedicating not only yourself, but your whole household to this? So, that's one of the jumping points of where we're going to be looking at today. But back to this, this question here of, you know, why did you make me this way? When you're thinking of, why was I born a woman? Why was I born a man? Why was I born into this particular position in this particular country? One of the recurring lessons that you see throughout um, the prophets, especially the prophets Yahu or Jeremiah and Yeshiyahu or Isaiah, is this lesson again and again of Yatsar and Chomer, or as it's commonly translated as Potter, the Yatsar, which just means the one who forms. So, translated potter, and chomer, which is translated clay, but it's been a bit of a problematic word because the lexicons have like three different <laughs> words for it. And as you'll see in some of, the, um, some of the sages will go in different directions with this idea of the chomer because it can have... Uh, basically, you know, three main common connotations, one of which is related to something that's red. Um, it's where you can get the idea of perhaps clay, maybe reddish clay, something like that. And it's even used to describe wine. So, you can think of wine being red, so that being a picture of that. Also, something that is, um, you could say, built up, you know, or heaped up. And also, something that is, um, he's saying, a bit of uh, 
turbulent. Um, that's where you get the idea of fermentation from it. So between all of these things, you think red, you get the picture of that which is earthly, uh, the connection of blood that we've talked about in pre- previous occasions. And then you get the picture of uh, something that is heaped up or built up, then you or brought in. Then you get the picture of something that is uh, fermenting or turbulent. So, in a bit of, you have this picture of the Yatsar is the one who takes that which is Homer or in, in chaos, earthly, and then builds and forms it into something that is more than what it was before, something that's coherent from where it was before. And some of the passages we're going to be looking at, you'll see um, one of which is in Jeremiah chapter 18, but we're going to be focusing on what the prophet uh, Yeshiahu has to say about this. And in Isaiah 29, 41, 45, and 64 is where you see this picture of the potter and the clay. And you'll see that over the, 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 the scope of the book, this message of the Yatsar and the Homer uh, changes and it morphs over the, the period of the book. And you'll see at the beginning part where this interplay between the, the potter and the clay is a, a question of, you know, the, the clay is saying, you don't see me. You don't see me, potter. I am just over here and doing my own thing. You don't see what I'm doing. And then you see over time that this changes to, well, uh, you do see me, but uh, you're impotent or incompetent to do anything with this clay. So the, the clay is telling the potter, you're just not able to do anything with this. To then near the end of the book of Yeshayahu is saying, we're the ones who are incompetent in shaping ourselves. So please shape us again, put us back into at least what we were before and preferably better. So let's uh, dive into some of these passages and, and take a look at it. Our first stop is in Isaiah uh, 29. We'll take a look at verses uh, 13 through 16. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts f- far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us, or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay that what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me, or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. So you see, as this journey is beginning, you remember the the time period here is um, down (laughs) the period of the exile. So Yemeriyahu is talking about before the exiles before the destruction, the, the judgments coming through the land. Yes, I was talking about here in the in the midst of this rolling uh, discipline that's coming to the you know north and 
kind of going into the time of the south of their correction period. So, you see, moving on with the second passage here from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, it says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Basically, the idea is he can't do that. He can't touch it. He can't form it. So, as the correction is coming through and rolling through Israel, you have the the realization that, oh, okay, this is coming. So, the Lord does see it, but is the Lord actually able to form and shape this nation? And as you see the, the prophet continuing to expose it, um, can he actually do this? Or is he just started something and it's just going to unravel? As we go through the book of Devarim and we get down to the blessings and curses at the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, you'll see that that is one of the prophecies that's put forward is that this correction that comes is going to be turned around. Otherwise, the nations will look at it and go, eh, the one who formed Israel cannot actually make it into anything useful. Built it up, but it was taken down and taken down by other nations and other gods. So, what is that testimony then about the God of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the God of Israel? What does that say about it, if that were true? But you see the same chapter of Isaiah 45, as it moves down, you see that heaven indeed formed Israel for a purpose. And the message to Israel is, yes, you were formed for a purpose. Yes, the potter is working the clay. Now you have to learn what this thing is that the potter is doing with the clay. And uh, verses 18 and 19. For thus is the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Yaakov, seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. So, as you roll up there in uh, verse 18, you see the passage, and here in the New American Standards translated, he established it and did not create it a waste place. And as you can see, it's actually riffing on uh, the Genesis chapter 1, because, you know, I did not create it in tohu. I did not create it as a, an emptiness, kind of like in, is it talking about the beginning? But he formed it to be inhabited. So, it was not, Israel was not set up so that it would just become nothing. It was set up so that it would be inhabited. The, the, the land, the people that were started as Israel would be something that would go somewhere. And you see that riffing on that, that um, imagery of Tohu later on in verse 19, where it says, I did not say to the offspring of Yaakov, seek me in a waste place or seek me uh, vainly. 
So, did not say to Avraham and his descendants, you know, pursue me, find out who I am, learn who I am. And he did not say, well, follow me and learn who I am, trust me for no reason, or basically I'm going to leave you in a lurch. No, that learn who I am, trust me, love me, that was going somewhere. And that one is, it's described at the verse 19 here, I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. So thus, if you find out who the Lord is, you trust the Lord, you love the Lord, you will learn through that righteousness, the right way to go, the ways that work in life, the ways that don't work in life. So our next passage that we're going to take a look at is in Isaiah 64, verses 8 through 12. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Yerushalayim, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our precious things have become a ruin. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? So, here you have the... And you're coming down toward the end of the matter. It's very, very similar what you're seeing here to toward the end of the, the book, Kehelot um, or Ecclesiastes, where it's through most of the book is talking about, well, this is vain and this pursuit is vain. That pursuit is vain. Seeking after knowledge and wisdom is, is vain. But as it gets down toward the end of the book, it's saying, well, here's the final matter, and that is to love the Lord and follow his instructions. That's what really matters. Because if, as what Yeshua said, you know, that uh, pursue the kingdom and all these other things will then come. Not the other way around. Pursue all these other ancillary things related to the kingdom. And then, you know, you will find... Um, righteousness and God. No, it's the other way around. Those things will come out of it, and which gets to then the answer. So this is the last part of uh, what's divided up here is uh, chapter 64 of Isaiah. So the question as it's ending here through the prophet, will you restrain yourself at these things? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? Now comes the answer, which is in chapter 65 and then also in 66, which closes things out and gives us a picture toward the, not only the uh, resolution of the matter of the exiles in Israel, but also is talking about a time, not only the day of the Lord, but even post day of the Lord or beyond the starting of the day of the Lord, the new heavens and the new earth. So, verse starting in beginning, few uh, five verses of chapter sixty-five is the Lord's response: I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, "Here, here am I. Here am I. 
to a nation which did not call on my name. I have spread up my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among the graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. And so it continues through the chapter and into chapter 66. So what we, what we see here is in this response, and <laughs> you might recall that, that uh, the apostles pick up on this, uh, actually a few apostles pick up on this particular passage. Uh, the apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans. We'll be taking a look at that next. But what do we see here? is a very interesting picture is that Israel may have missed this message, but other nations will get this message. Does that sound familiar from what we were talking about earlier with the uh, trajectory of Israel to be a testimony to the nations? And it was kind of dropped in there in the midst of chapter 33 of uh, Numbers and the travelogue. Oh, yeah, one of the other um, kings of Canaan heard about Israel was in the area. Hmm. So thus you get this picture very early on and you see that with the mixed multitude that left with Israel out of Mitzrayim that indeed when the prophet is saying here at the beginning part of 65 and relaying the Lord's words that I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. Why? And uh, the Apostle Paul riffs on this in Romans 9 through 11. And particularly, he's quoting from this in chapter 10 of Romans. But we're going to take a look at uh, Romans chapter 9 specifically. As what we'll see here in Romans chapter 9, as he's, he's really beginning his lament as to why things ended up this way. And you'll see the picture as to why there was this rejection of the Mashiach coming forward. What happened in the first century with Yeshua was not unique. Not like, well, how could they have not seen the Mashiach? Well, it happened before. (laughs) They they did not see the Lord working back in the the time of the Exodus. They did not see the, the Lord working in the conquest of the land. And, you know, as you might have noticed there with uh, some of the instructions to the tribes as they were entering the land, you know, make sure that you, you complete the job because if you don't, then these nations will continue to be a thorn in your side throughout all of this. Now, let's take a look at Romans chapter 9. I am telling the truth in Mashiach. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Mashiach for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises." whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Mashiach according to the flesh, 
who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Yitzhak your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rivka also. And she had, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Yitzhak, for through the twins that were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, The older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Yaakov I loved, but Esau I, heard, I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he who says to Moshe, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so then does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Nor does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel, for honorable use and another for common use. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not from being the Yehudim only, but also among the Goyim. And as he says also in Hoshea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who is not loved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called sons of the living God. Yeshayahu cries out concerning Israel, though a number of the sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Yashiahu foretold, unless the Lord of Tzabaot had left us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Goim who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, and even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, 
Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And as it goes on in chapter 10, kind of further explaining this situation and quoting from the prophets and looking at what happened with Israel in this, um, what has, you would say, is a failing but really is part of the history of Israel. There have always been those who held firm. You would say the, the, the remnant of Israel, or you remember the accounts through the first generation of the Exodus, you know, those of Levi, who, you know, when Moshe was saying there at the mountain, you know, well, whoever's on the Lord's side and those of Levi rallied to him. And then you had uh, the other Cases where, like, uh, as we were looking at earlier numbers about the the case of the judgment with the fiery serpents, and those who would believe in the Lord were delivered from that, the ones who would look at the method of salvation, the sign on the pole, that they would be saved if they trusted that that was the actual way of salvation. So, we see here that the story, the account of Israel is quite the same throughout time. And it happens over and over and over again, like it's happened before. So you get back to the question that we started with, you know, why did you make me this way? And we see that a part of life is learning why we were made this way. A part of Israel is learning why the Lord has formed Israel in this particular way. And it seems that in, in the cases where the, <laughs> the clay gets away from itself and decides to unform itself, and in the cases where the potter has to, uh, this is, if you've ever seen potters as they uh, kind of decide to rework what they're working on, they'll smash it down to start over again. Well, you've seen that with the exile, that is a lot of what the is like with a potter that is deciding to take what was in process before and then go and reform it again. So we, in whatever ever station that we're put in, whether we're men, whether we're women, whatever country we're in, we have to look at what the overall purpose of the world is and where the direction of the world is going. So we get to the, the question that is going on about, about uh, race and a lot of the discussions that are going on now. Well, it, when you look at the genetics involved in it, that which is involved with the, uh, the called the racial characteristics, whether they be the, the, the way that the eye is shaped, how much melanin you have in your skin, those sorts of things are such an infinitesimal part of what the genetic differences are between people that there is even there tends to be more genetic difference between people who are on different continents than on characteristics such as the amount of melanin the color that you have in your skin or characteristics such as the way your eyes or your ears or however your uh, face may be shaped in this and that so one of the the key <laughs> The, the key things that uh, gets to that is what the Lord says, I don't look at what's on the outside, I look at what's in the inside. 
And we saw that with the account that we saw earlier in Yeshiahu 29, where he was saying, you know, you are honoring me with your lips, with the externals. You are doing things by rote. It's not what is on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside that matters, which is why that the message that, that came in from the, the 60s from Martin Luther King about you know, content of character being far more important than what you look like on the outside, that is simply echoing something that has been uh, given down through time with Israel. It's like, you may look good on the outside, but inside it looks quite different or is it's put quite quite graphically by one of the prophets uh all of your righteousnesses as um just leave it to say dirty rags it's pretty pretty awful as to what you think your righteousness is because what it was something that was trying to be pursued outwardly versus inwardly is that something that uh was as it's often contended, something that, oh, the, the Old Testament way was just uh, do the things on the outside, the outside salvation. But then with the New Testament, things came from the inside. Well, even just in the passage we saw in passing in chapter 9 of Romans, really brings that clear is that, no, these things that were a part of the inner connection between people, that was also brought through from the Torah. That was also brought through. But what way did people pursue? Did they pursue the outward relationship or the inward relationship? And as a lesson, just as Israel was a lesson to the nations around them with the exodus from Egypt, the judgment upon the gods of Egypt, with the crossing of the sea and the judgment upon the army of Egypt, and just as that was a testimony to the nations around them of what was, who the true uh, leader of the world was, who the true power in the world was, so too then the nations, because the Lord was going to speak to the nations with power, would be a testimony back to Israel, was supposed to, as Paul gets at uh, later on in the passage there in Romans, to, to make Israel jealous. So, the lesson then, as you see in chapter 11, do not be so fantastically uh, thrilled that you are grafted on to the tree that God has planted, to Israel that God has planted, but be just thankful that the Lord has had mercy on you to be allowed to be a part of the kingdom of God. So, this hopefully is a great message and a great deal of hope for the world around us that we can say that this is what the kingdom of heaven is trying to do. Sadly, this is something that is a message that people you know, do not want to hear. They want to think, I can go my own way. I can be my own, I am clay and I can mold myself. Well, one of the lessons of the world and how it really works is that the things that are formed have to have one who forms them. They do not form themselves, which is one of the big lessons that is brought through to the children today and throughout a lot of society is that everything that is formed itself. 
Well, one of the things that we've learned as we progressively grow in knowledge and understanding of the world is that it is just as the Lord said back in Genesis chapter one, there is the formed and there is the former, the one who forms it. There is the clay and there is the potter that forms it. So, the way we are formed, we can either stamp our feet and say, why did you form us this way? Or we can take the, t- the, the tack that you see there at the, in Isaiah 64 and say, wow, we become misshapen. Shape us the way you want to shape us again. Make us into the form that you want us to be. So that's the conclusion of where we're going to be going with this discussion today. If there are any comments or questions, you can unmute yourself and can hopefully cover a few things before we wrap up today. My son had a question. Ah. Um, Isaac had asked earlier uh, with the whole comp- when you were reading uh, that uh, the story about Balaam and Pharaoh's to Moses' explanation as to why they, they should kill Balaam off, or not Balaam, so why they should kill the Midianite women off. Women off. Uh, he had asked, how did the all the record of all what Balaam said and did with Balak and everything else, and then all that information, how did that all get from the Moab of Midianites to Moses? To Moses at the time when she's ready to kill the Midianites, that he knew about it. He knew all the details. So it wasn't like, for example, it couldn't have been like, you know, a hundred years later or somewhere down. Moses had to have found out very short period of time after the event with Balaam before, because that event occurs. And this, this is what appears to be within a year's time or months, possibly, from that event where they're killing it. Uh, and wiping out the Midianites. It's a very short span of time. So how did that information get, potentially, or ideas how information got from uh, the, the Moabites and Midianites to Moses? I mean, there weren't, as, as far as we can tell, there were no spies involved. The Israelites were hanging out there while while, while Balaam was, was declaring his blessings and his cursings or his blessing process what he said had it written down and such, or at least memorized, most likely memorized. But uh, he, that was his question. I, I gave him my answer, but I don't have a really good one. So, hmm. I think I what, was, what, was, what was your answer? Uh, my answer was that at the time of that, that, appear, that, that time period occurred, was uh, records or writing down things is not the common way of transmitting information. That rather wrote memorization was, or but, but uh, not written about, but uh, memorization, oral memorization. So it's probably a good chance the people that were there heard and just memorized what Balaam said, um, and that was just my guess because that that's, that was because written down history was not so common at the time at that time in, in, in the world. Uh, there were some things written down; most things weren't. And so, if it was memorized, it's possible somebody, maybe the Israelite captured somebody and he said, hey, this is what happened. He was there. He recorded. I don't know. I didn't have a good way of how it got to him, but um, my guess was most likely it was orally memorized. At least, at least how, otherwise, because I don't think he was writing it down. 
has been and was speaking. Could have, but I don't, I don't know. And that was my thought. If I just memorized somebody somehow, maybe they captured somebody or something. I don't know. If you had any other information or thoughts, you could throw it out there. Oh, a couple, couple thoughts that uh, might might inform that question is uh, first of which was it's mentioned there at the beginning of the thirty-one when you know the Lord says you know take full vengeance and then you see early on a few chapters back as to where you actually had this this encounter with the with the um, you could say the yeah, corruption of Israel with these with these women from Midian. So you're like, well, okay. The Lord's saying, uh, "Take take vengeance on in this case," and so the 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 question of, well, oh, why why would this be necessary if this was truly just something that happened between you know Bilam and Balak and no one else ever heard of it? So it could possibly be that you had either a Yosef or a uh, Daniel experience where it was revealed to Moshe in one of those cases where he was speaking to him. It's like, okay, well, this is this is what happened there while you were, you know, blissfully ignorant that there was someone who was actively trying to, um, you know, jangle these lucky charms and force my hand. But here is how I actually turned those attempts to curse into actually active ways to bless Israel. So it could be revealed to Moshe in that regard. This is something that happened. Uh, you know, another thing to what your point was about the uh, oral transmission of things, you know, yeah, that is the way that long sections were, were transmitted over time. Uh, there was back in the, uh, right around the time that the, uh, was 19, about 1967. So you think right around the time of uh, one of the major wars in the land of Israel, there was a temple that was discovered over in the uh, Moab Midian area, kind of South Moab, Northern Midian area that actually has a, a mural in like red lighting writing on the wall in uh, a form of, um, you could say somewhere it's a mishmash of Canaanite, uh, Phoenician, Hebrew mixed, lots of different vocabulary mixed together. But it is basically sayings of Bilam on there. And people don't, it says uh, Bilam, son of Peor. So is that the same Bilam, son of Peor? The the dating of it, you know, a lot of those things are really hit and miss as to what the dating is. Supposedly it's dated somewhere around, you know, 800 B.C., 700, 800 BC, but it could be earlier because, you know, some of that goes into the nebulous nature of the dating of Jericho, which is put to be later in time, which in actuality could be a few centuries earlier. So, in in a sense, who knows, this may be hundreds of years after the fact. We don't know what time of Moab's destruction, because you know that that also happened during the time of the, the kings of Israel, where you had those destructions that happened at that particular time. That might have been the time when they decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to do in these uh, pagan temple practices that were being done down there in Midian, Moab area. Who knows? It may have been the time of this um, destruction of the things of Midian that we're reading about here. It could have been done hundreds of years later. But uh, some of these sayings of 
Bilam, if it's the same Bilam, um, were definitely known and passed down through time. So whether they were orally or written as it was on the side of the of that uh, temple could be could be either because there are um, writings that do date from a very early period, either you know thirteen to fifteen hundred BC. So uh, some of the writings in Stella that go back down into the Sinai Peninsula, what's, what's called the Sinai Peninsula today, uh, North. Eastern Egypt, modern Egypt. So those are two possibilities. It could have been revealed in a dream or could have been passed down orally or written on, written down on something or even on the side of that building. So I was trying to explain to you, it's kind of hard for you looking at, if I was in Balaam's shoes, I, I wouldn't necessarily, maybe I would, advertise uh, my donkey experience. <laughs> So okay. <laughs> embarrass themselves that thoroughly, or maybe he would use it as a proof that he's you know, that, that God speaks to him. I don't know. He might use it as like a, a tool. Hey, look, see, I, I can talk to animals, you know, like Doctor Dulo. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's it was a strange thing because how much information we transmitted, but apparently it, from the the, the storyline, appears an awful lot of detail was transmitted. Uh, however, it was done but anyway. Yeah, and, and it is it is interesting that perhaps if any of that was relayed, perhaps it came through in uh, some of the girls that were brought in from uh, Midian into if they were taught those as kids. Um, don't know exactly how much time was involved between the account and that when those blessings happened, and you know if you're right, it was about a year or so. If it would. If gone transmitted that quickly over to down to children, who knows? Well, good news travels like wildfire. I know that's bad news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the 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 mural attributed to Bilam was uh, definitely glowing. It was not a uh, no no donkey accounts in there or anything like that. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, I have a question. Yeah, how many people do you think? From the beginning of time, have been upon this earth. Oh boy, some, yeah, some some people have uh, tried to take a stab at at that particular one. I think, um, you know, de- de- depending on uh, some lifespans of things, they were saying that perhaps maybe by the time of the flood, there was perhaps a few million people. But when you when you look at the population growth, um, it's been you know. F- kind of goes in a in a bit of a, a bit of a uh slope upward and grows i'm trying to remember what that it's exponential curve Parabolic. yes yes a parabola thank you and that uh, particular growth has accelerated in the past uh, 200 years to where you see the the populations that were now in the hundreds of millions maybe a billion and now soared up past um you know seven we're all we're reaching eight very quickly. So they were saying that, that uh, the populations that may have gone from a couple hundred years ago all the way back through time, maybe into the hundreds of billions, maybe a billion altogether. And so you can see how that is soared. You just can see it in, in modern recorded history as to where the populations have grown. 
especially in, in areas that have been continuously occupied for long periods of time like India and China, those populations have just, they were, they've been big for quite a long time. I mean, they were into the hundreds of millions even several hundred years ago. Whereas in the United States, there was, uh, at our nation's founding, there was, I'm trying to remember how many, it was like a few million people across the entire eastern seaboard and not that many spread across million. the 11 million thank you and that has now soared to you know 300 and where are the 330 million i think at last count so yes well there's been a lot of influx of people from other countries but then you know also a lot of uh, population growth in that particular time so we like to say that there's more people alive now than has ever been alive ever before on Earth. That's a good way to put it. Well, what gets what what bothers me is how many have died in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I mean, just daily. I mean, you're hearing of so many shootings and killings, and I mean, it's just I'm just amazed at how many people have come and gone. Uh, I, I what's God going to do with all those people? <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> Thanks, Deborah. Yeah, great. Anyway. What was that, Larry? He's the only one who can figure that out anyway. Yeah, and definitely we're 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 thankful for that one. You know, but we don't know what is mentioned as far as the the folk who will decide that they want to go along with the things of God, they want to be a part of the kingdom, and those who don't want to be part of the kingdom. Imagine how many more people there would have been on Earth if half of Europe hadn't died of the Black Death. Yes. They probably would have, they probably would have fixed it by just more wars. <laughs> more wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wars earlier. <laughs> how many more can I kill this new one? Yeah. I don't know if that helps at all, Rose. COVID? No, it does. Uh, it it just amazes me how many people have have come and gone in my lifetime, and, and to think about how many have been on the earth uh, in the last six thousand years, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, we well, you think of at um, at Noah's time, you know, the other people were kind of congregated together, but think about that to see all of those people gone and only only the you know your family the only the eight of you walk out of the ark after that so you you can see kind of a comparative and yeah the the mashiach said that it's going to be just like that in the day of the lord so we see now all the people around us and you know how many are going to you could say walk out the other side of that yeah so that's that's a sobering thought and really gets to what the apostle paul is bringing forward about the the mercy of god and to you know trying to okay we had a couple questions in here yes go go right ahead okay um in chapter 31 of Numbers, we talk about the Levites getting one out of 50 of the cattle, sheep, and other things. Yes. 
um, the difference between the tithe and the levy. Because that word was levy or L-E-V-Y. Yes, the, the levy for levy. Yeah. Oh, boy. So... So, uh, what when you're when you're talking about the 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 tithe, what was what was that about? That's your tithing on what? Well, you know, are the two words interchangeable or not? Is one a tax and the other one is? Yeah, yeah. It's but but also also take take a look at what they're on the the tithe. What was that about? Well, the tithe was on the cattle and the increase of uh, your... But where, where did the, the uh, items come from, like your agricultural produce and such, that involved in the tithe? The work of your hands, of course. Whatever well, you've done. Well, the work of the hands, but also the, uh, what the Lord had produced from the ground. And that's, that's why, you know, it's par- partly why you're saying you take every tenth one, uh, no matter what that particular thing is, just acknowledging where it came from. It is the things that the Lord had produced. And you know, through the work of your hands also, you know, the Lord gives the increase and you are involved in the harvest. So in this other one, the situation there with the Midian and the spoils that came through that, what was that related to? He gave the victory. He gave the victory that they were delivered into the hands of it. And notice, you know, there was the various splits that were involved in this. So in, in, the, in the one case, you're saying, okay, these are the spoils of war, but this is a big reminder of where did that victory come from? Just like with the tithe, where did that produce come from? And a part of, as we have talked about with the Shemitah, do you trust actually where the produce comes from? trust so much that you're going to let that sixth year coast through that there would be actually the double portion, so to speak, to carry you through to when your new crops come in. Do you trust that much where things come from? And the same comes through with war and what would then be the conquest of the land to follow is do you trust where that victory was coming from? And as you see in Israel's history, um, that promise of, you know, if you let off on conquering the land, what you don't conquer will come back to haunt you. If you think it was too tough of a job before, just wait until they come back and be thorns in your side and you can't get rid of them even if you want to. Any other thoughts before we close out here? Yeah, Louise had had a question earlier about Ah, yes. Your title here, you've had this this talk titled, Why Did You Make Me This Way? Mm-hmm. So, um, so what part of the parasha or it kind of inspired you to go on this particular kind of path for your story study today? Oh, really? Chapter 30 related to the, the, the vow and, you know, really that part of the vow and also the aspect of apportioning up the land and the aspect that, you know, you may have been a part of this particular tribe, but you're really a part of a whole beyond that. And you might ask, like with uh, the daughters of Zalofahad, hey, you know, we're, we're born women, but 
we're the only descendants of our father. So what happens to his, his line and his inheritance? So, uh, Larry. Uh, Larry has his hand. You know, I was thinking about this thing about vowels and the, uh, and the, uh, the, 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 what do we call it? The sexual connotation of, uh, you know, you were saying is why, why was I, why, why do I have to put up with this kind of hierarchy? Well, you know, we, we have to put up with hierarchy from God anyway. And, you know, he passes it through Messiah to the priests and for them. And, and it comes down to us through a hierarchy and, uh, you know, the apostles and the, and, and, you know, so that, so the, and he says that the husband is the, is the head of the, of the, of the woman and, the, and Christ is the head of the man. And the men got the same thing really from, from Messiah when he said, don't swear at all, no vows, don't do any vows. So really he was telling us that I'm going to, and then he has to come back and any vows that we made that didn't work out, he has to pay for it. Just like we have to pay for the thing if we didn't say, if we said something to our, to our wives and there was trouble caused by that, we had to bear it. He has to bear ours too. So he has the right to tell us not to vow. And uh, I, I don't think it's any real difference between, between the sexes for that really. That's it's right. just a hierarchy of, of transmission of, inf- of spiritual information. Yeah, and that's and that's the the lesson that keeps coming down is that there is things put in place for a particular reason, and a lot of them are a lesson to everybody involved. That you know, especially to what we had uh, seen as Paul gets at in Romans chapter eleven, don't be so haughty about the place that you're put in, because you can be just as easily removed as that which takes your place. And another one that's selected to be in that particular place. So we, in our particular place, no matter what station we're in, no matter what country we're born in, no matter what role or what gifts we're given, this and that and the other, we should not think of those as being greater than anything else. Just get busy with the task that we are given to do. Because you can see, and we've seen in um, the the book of Bami Bar is to what happens if you try to uh, aspire or think that you're being cheated out of something that's, that's different and that you were owed. I mean, it goes back with, hmm? Nothing. I was just going to make a smart Alex statement. <laughs> just get her did. <laughs> get her done. That's right. Get her done. So, yeah, expressed all kinds of all kinds of different ways, but hopefully we can see through through these these lessons here that they they may seem completely archaic, but hardly archaic because we're still going through and still relearning these same lessons here today, and you know, learning what hierarchies are, the reasons for hierarchies, the reason that why people who are in one position or another should not think that they should lord it over other people who are at different levels of that hierarchy. And also that even though there is a hierarchy, the people across, no matter what gender, no matter what country you're in, you are all seen equally in the eyes of God based on, you know, what are you going to do 
with your um, view of the kingdom. When the kingdom is presented to you, what do you do with it? Any last thoughts here as we close out? All right. Well, let's uh, close with prayer. Father God, we thank you for giving us these these blessings and these warnings throughout so many of your servants in time. And Father, we ask that that you continue to have mercy on us. And we thank you for the adoption that you've given us as sons and daughters of your kingdom. And Father, we ask for your wisdom in taking the good news of your kingdom into the world around us. And Father, as we as we wait for the great coming of your son. We ask for your wisdom in knowing what to do in this world. And we pray, we pray for relief. We pray for your salvation to come in, to change this world, to remold it in your hands into the way that you originally created it to be. Father, as we wait, we ask you to give us patience to give us peace. We thank you for the assurances you've given us. In the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info. 